We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land on which we broadcast and record this show, the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Coat Hanger is a show and podcast where we tackle women's footy with a Sydney view. I'm your host, Fiona Lamb, and I'm coming to you from Bidjigal Country, and I'm joined by... Emma Phillips, also talking to you from Bidjigal Country. And Tracy Kick, talking to you from Darawal Country. And this is Coach Kiwi down at the Eastern Kulin Nation, which is the land of the Bunurong, Boon, Wurrung and Wurrungaree Woiwurrung peoples. In this week's show, we will talk about the new fixture. We'll share our match highlights. We're going to hear from Em, who caught up with Pepper Randall this week. We're going to talk about Ash Barty and what she revealed this week. Our tipping comp. And the Giants match that is confirmed as of the new fixture at Blacktown Stadium. So let's get right into it and start talking about the fact that Marvel Stadium is included in this week's fixture. And I'm just going to say thank you very much. You're welcome. You are welcome. It was, it all you there. it was you, wasn't it? It was. It was. Look, I've got a bit of sway. <laughs> got a bit of swagger. And I just said... As you'll all recall in last week's uh, show and pod, nobody wants to go out to Casey Fields. And so this week, or this, this, this week coming for round four, we're going to have a match at Marvel Stadium. I now can't remember what it is. Can anyone else look it North, up? North Melbourne versus Collingwood. So it should be a cracker out there. That as well. should be a cracker. So um, I think what I'm really excited about is that um, we can't write off any teams at this point. We can we can probably say mm, they're starting to uh, form that ladder that we expect. But there are a few teams who we may not have considered early on who are contenders, and others that we assumed would be definitely be in um, in grand final contention who. Not so much. So let's move on now to talk about our match highlights. I'll get started. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with a match highlight just from um, the recent game between the Brisbane Lions and the West Coast Eagles. And my highlight uh, really started to come to the fore last week, and that's Dakota Davidson. Um, Dakota's a 22-year-old forward. Um, she's showed some real promise last year, but she just has just hit the front of the goal kicking for the uh, whole competition, um, and is bagging a few. And she has a uh, she has a, con- a disposal efficiency of 81%. Um, fantastic uh, start for her. And for my Brisbane Lions, I'm very happy about that. A couple of other quick observations from the week. Um, uh, Tigers, um, I think, showed up a little more than they had the previous week. So actually won the contested possession, I think. Enjoyed all the games, really. So, yeah, so we, you're right, Fee, you're starting to see some movement, starting to see people get, um, people, some teams get on the board. And so, Em, I'd like to hear from you and and uh, this whole Darabin versus Mugger thing, uh, Muggers, I should say. It uh, still it persists, doesn't it? Please explain. <laughs> well, I, I guess we should start that by saying that you know that the Melbourne versus North Melbourne match match pains me as it is to talk about it was an absolute cracking match, and I think it was. High scoring, free flowing, really top quality game. One of the best matches I've seen in the AFLW competition. Um, North went down by, I think it was nine points in the end. But uh, 
it, look, that rivalry you're talking about was alive on that day because North Melbourne was is a collection of a number of ex-Melbourne Uni players and Melbourne has a good collection of the ex-Darabin players. And for those who don't know, going back to the old uh, VFLW days, those two teams had a fierce rivalry. There was um, uh, some, some player movement, shall we say. That might be the polite way to put it. Um, <laughs> and a few things that didn't gel as they talked across <laughs> a couple of suburbs away. Anyway, so that uh, that's sort of alive and well, I think. And it was certainly written into the contest between Paxman and Carney and look they played on each other I think most of the day it was a very exciting contest to watch um, both had their respective moments in the sun but uh, yeah fierce rivals and I think that we'll see you know we'll probably see more of that come finals time. Kiwi um, yeah that was a cracking match um, Em and I think the difference at the end of the day was even though everyone's saying north of the team that have got the players and are going to um, make the grand final it in the statistics it really was the the, the numbers that mattered, um, you know, your disposal efficiency inside 50, your uncontested marks, those are the areas where um, the Melbourne Demons just sort of um, broke ahead of North and um, and that's where they just got the count on the scoreboard. Um, but you're moving on, I guess, one of my highlights, I guess, is you always love to see the young players on debut kicking goals. And, you know, in the weekend, we saw the young girl, um, number one draft at Tigers. We saw Joanna Lynn and Tani Brown, who was a father-daughter draft at Collingwood. Uh, it's just so exciting to see. And, um, you know, these are the future. These, these kids are going to be around hopefully another 10 years. And if they're able to, um, you know, some of them are small, get goals and um, with this kind of level of skill that they've got and speed. Joanna Lynn's got a lot of speed behind her. It's um, exciting future we've got ahead of us and um, and you just love to see it really. Yeah, good call, Kiwi. I was just thinking too that we can't let this discussion pass without mentioning Fremantle's performance over Adelaide. And they were 30-point winners, I think it was, Nan, which is a totally dominant performance over a side that many have begun to pencil in as the premiers for this season. I know as a that given. was Adelaide yep. were my quiet tip for the, the, the premiership this year. So, look, that's now been given a big shake-up. Chelsea Randall wasn't playing, but Adelaide is certainly not a side that relies on one player, not by any stretch. I was going to say, they can't, they cannot just say that that was the reason they fell. All because of, of Chelsea Randall. They just can't. She's no, a fabulous just... player, but she certainly doesn't carry a team like that that has hmm. stars across every line. They, they're another team. They're, that was another game where um, they were pretty much same stats all the way through. But if you look at the scoreboard, both had eight chances to get a score. And Adelaide had gone back to where they were pre-season, where they were just belting in all these misses. Um, and I just thought, you know, some of those matchups probably were a little bit interesting. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't have put a, a slower defender on a speedy forward, for example. And um, Fremantle, they were just clean out of the blocks and their transition running and their changing lanes is something so clean and great to watch and great development for other um, teams. If you want to learn how to play some really good football, have a look at a Fremantle game. I just love yeah. the uh, combination of Duffy and Houghton. They're just unbelievable. The mm. ball gets him forward. And their defensive pressure, keeping the ball inside 50, is first rate. Um, it's really outstanding. And Ashley Sharp was a good addition back into the Frio side. But I agree, you can't, you can't build a team around a player. You know, it'd be 
you know, it's the same idea of as building a team around Erin Phillips. And they mm. were a bit more impactful when she went forward. But, you know, you can't be everywhere and it doesn't build great team cohesion anyway. To and I, to I don't think player. that Adelaide necessarily do that. But it's interesting that the commentators are saying, oh, well, Chelsea Randall wasn't there. And I just thought, well, that's not really the, the answer to the full question i'm just looking at the tweet from sarah black who shared some stats about that game um without going into all the details she made the point that uh, the basic numbers are quite telling that crows had more of the footy but lost by 30 whilst the dockers recorded nearly 100 more kicks than handballs so she's her point is they don't mess around with the ball they get it on the boot and get it moving now they play really lovely direct footy yeah. Good to watch. Yeah. Well, I reckon my highlight from from the weekend was taking my nephew out to Blacktown to watch the Giants and thank God they won. <laughs> it's always good to take a young person along to a game and, and have the have them win. And tell you what, he's uh, I thought I was vocal in the stands, but he's <laughs> a chip off the old block. Did you buy him a pie <laughs> fee and a, a member's cap? He wore my members cap and he got a supporters coat hanger t-shirt. So oh, I think he's excellent. done pretty well out of the weekend. <laughs> well, what was he what was he cheering? What was he yelling? Oh, he was saying, no, 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 ball, no, why don't you kick it? No, hand pass, no, held, held without no. <laughs> like me, Kiwi. Kind of like me. Can we can record him for sounds of the show, Kiwi. <laughs> He's made some comments and you'll hear those in the fifth quarter, but uh, you probably should just put a mic on him. <laughs> hey, that'd be, that would be a great thing to do. Real sounds around the ground. We'll have to just beep out the bleeps when we, when we put them on grown-up people who say grown-up angry words, but uh, interesting idea. Uh, now, we were talking about sharing some more challenging aspects of the weekend. Em, did you want to jump in and talk about some things that would not necessarily highlights? Uh, not necessarily highlights, but certainly part of our game. I just go straight to poor Ashley Guest's eye. Wasn't that extraordinary? She she copped a whack, as we say, at some point late in the game. Might have been the fourth term, I think. And I still can't, looking at the replay, I still can't quite work out how such a blow-up occurred around her eye. But it really instantly came up like the size of almost a tennis ball around her eye and I thought gee that looks like a broken eye socket or something like that the speed with which it just you know filled out was extraordinary and she's posted photos I think on her Instagram or similar of just a you know and her eye isn't open it's just black and blue and yeah and we see injuries in footy we've all seen them for a long time but yeah, that was something else and I really feel for her. Yeah so interestingly she didn't say anything about a fractured eye socket and I thought we were going to have the revelation we'd all go oh my god that's terrible but <laughs> But she hasn't said anything about it. So I, I assume that's actually not the case. Yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Mm. It was a good one. M caught up with Pepper Randall this week. And here's a snippet of that chat. Of course, most, most of the girls are working part-time or perhaps some of them full-time outside of AFOW season. That must have interrupted your preparation your job your working capacity your income perhaps has it or any of the girls in your team been really affected in that way yeah I think yeah it's 
it's something as players that we were really prepared for, at least psychologically, not maybe uh, financially. But um, going into this season, there was quite a lot of discussion between clubs and between players and uh, with us and the AFLPA around the impacts and expectations of going into a hub, especially in a really tumultuous job market. I think there was a lot of concern from players that there would be an expectation that we go into a hub um, without kind of regard for how potentially detrimental it could be to walk away from a job in, in the current kind of economic times. So we pushed as a group of players and, and sorry, most, most clubs were in communication with the PA and the likes. And we, we pushed quite heavily that there would be financial support or a strong message of support that players would not have to go into a hub if they felt that their job was going to be compromised. Um, and I think we want to make sure that that was really pertinent and really important and stressed very heavily um, that girls shouldn't feel pressured to go into a hub if it was going to significantly impact them financially. And of course, that's easy to say when it comes to, you know, the choice between, you know, I get to play um, and train with my team or I get to stay home by myself and work. It's, it, you know, you might have all the support in the world from the club saying no worries, but you still do feel that pressure and, and ultimately it is something we all want to do. So there were definitely girls impacted. You know, obviously we had Lou Stevenson stay home um, in New South Wales and that, that, was, that would have been really tough for her um, just being away from the team, I think, and um, training by herself like she was training by herself with one coach for weeks and i think for a period that she was training with the boys as well um but then you know in the same sense we had girls in the hub who were um you know happy to be in the hub for two to three weeks but anything beyond that started to become quite stressful because it meant that they'd used up all their annual leave or, or they were concerned that they um if they had casual work that they wouldn't have any work once we returned um i would say in that regard we actually were um, compensated financially uh, for each day. So I guess like for um, income lost. And, and that was actually really helpful, I think, for a large number of players. Obviously, it wasn't, it was um, average, so it wasn't going to, you know, kind of be exactly what every single person was earning, but it was definitely better than the original kind of concept, which was just going to a hub. Um, so that helped, but I think, yeah, inside the hub, there was definitely that kind of stress about I'm okay for this week, but I don't know what's happening next week and I can't tell my boss what's going on. And then you add into it that, you know, you're away from partners and you're away from home and you're away from, you know, pets and, and whatever those kind of normal support networks you have outside of football. So there definitely was a lot of additional stress um, in that regard. Wow, Pepper Randall really bringing it home for us. I, I, I love how articulate she is about the very issues that we've been so concerned about for so many of our players, especially the Giants, and especially those who don't have lucrative uh, sponsorship deals. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. But not everyone has uh, that backing them up in, in their um position as an AFLW player so they're relying on the work they do during the day day to day every week just to keep the bills paid 
and so this movement now, because of COVID, creates an enormous conflict of interest. Yeah, look, I agree with you, Fee, that she's really fantastic to speak with and just open and honest about what's going on for those guys. So it's always an enjoyable time speaking with Pepper. I think her point, she says girls shouldn't feel pressured to go into a hub but of course that's easy to say and then speaks about Lou Stevenson and I think I like that point that she at length said to me you know they they really made it clear with us that you didn't have to come and hub it would be perfectly okay not to do that but we know what it's like in footy clubs we know what it's like at that level where there's an immense amount of pressure the season is short pre-season is short it's a part-time gig You've got a lot of players knocking on the door. It's competitive. You've got to be your absolute best and then some. And so if you're missing games because you opt to stay at home to keep your full-time job, what are the chances you're going to stick around or be, be able to hold that position within your club and within your team? You know, it's very tricky. I'm sure Trace has a few things to say on that. Yeah, Em, I think uh, the thing that really hits home for me is Lou Stevenson's been in the team for a number of years and is an established player and to some extent um, – while she probably didn't have a lot of choice about finishing her fire and rescue training and, and kicking off her career in the fireys, um, there'd be probably some level of, not assurity, but some level of, of confidence that she may be selected. But imagine being a player, of which there are many on the list, who have maybe played one or two games in a couple of seasons in AFLW. You, you'd, be, you'd be very... Uh, worried about getting selected even when you are already concerned if you couldn't travel with the team um, and I, I feel for the players who are a little bit down the list or who haven't really had a chance to prove themselves yet and yes. West Coast are in that same situation at the moment right they don't know when they're going home. Sometimes I worry that we speak about this issue a lot and I sometimes worry that listeners think oh they're talking about the issue of pay again and jobs and you know here it is but it is a very real fundamental concern for so many AFLW players and it really characterises the women's game at this level these days and it's going to be some time before we can say that those players feel safe enough to be able to hub, safe enough to be able to leave their part-time or full-time jobs and leave their family for a while. It's going to be a long time yet. So this issue is going to stick around and I think we're going to continue to talk about it. Yeah, um, Frio were in that situation this week. I think they packed their bags and were told three weeks on the road. So um, they also had to have a reshuffle of the staff and their coaching panel because some couldn't get time off work to come away. So then they've used other staff for different things. Uh, and they had to leave Evie Gooch home because she's also a firefighter in um, in WA. Um, but, yeah, they were well, they were at Glenelg Beach today, so they're not far from actually going back home because they've got a home game next week. Um, and West Coast were always going to go back home this week, but they don't know what their plan, their future plan is. Um, they've been told about being in hubs. So, um, yeah, it's absolutely an idea floating. And I think for all players, they're just going to try and do what they can to preserve their income, but to get the season done. You well, know, I think we, we know, know now, like. don't we, that West Coast are playing Giants next next week? Yes, correct. But they they weren't told to come over this side and pack big bags, I don't think. Oh, right. So they were coming to right. Brisbane so, and then going back. So the that Freo, was some of the... Have brought have brought uh, pyjamas. <laughs> and West Coast are, are sleeping in the nutty. 
Yeah, well, I think I think that's something to do with the logistics and that Frio came over and they, there were no crowds at the Brisbane game and that's why they moved it to the Monday. There's a whole bunch of other things going on and so they were going home. So, yeah, they go home for a few days and then back to Sydney, whereas Fremantle – sorry, that was West Coast – Fremantle were heading to Adelaide and I'm thinking that there may have been a plan where they might have gone to another state on the East Coast. And, yeah, but definitely they were all told three weeks away from home. So I am interested, there's a couple of things I want to say. One thing is, so they have prevented spectators from attending in Brisbane. Uh, is that because they still considered West Coast to be vulnerable or, or, or potential spreaders or are they now thinking long term that they're not going to have um, spectators because they're going to move around so much and they might hub? everything's so uncertain right now that they seem to be moving to hubs even if just in the sense that they're going to prevent spectators does anyone know why would you not allow spectators in brisbane it's brisbane nothing happens there uh, it's entirely true, Fee. Not entirely true. I, used, I lived I in She took the bait, Fee. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Brisbane, Trace? Tell us. I don't know. I can't remember. It's too long ago. <laughs> well, so, okay. We'll just leave that as a mystery. The other thing is uh, different staff. Now, am I correct in saying when the Giants were hubbing, they had Wayne Seekman join them as a support staff member. Now that's correct. And they also Wayne had a, Seekman was the head Adelaide. coach of of the Pies for the first two years. He he then did not have his contract renewed. Then was offered a list manager role, some role at Carlton through his mate Daniel Harford, uh, who also has employed a man in the role of a runner that being Andy Ma, which, of course, we need more men in runners' roles because you wouldn't think of giving that to an ex-player. Um, I've got something to say about that, though. <laughs> okay. But so Wayne Siegman, who they don't know, they don't have a relationship with this person, but they're going to say this is going to be another support staff member whilst we're hubbing in now. I think by then they were in Adelaide. Is that correct? Or was it still Aubrey? I'm losing track. But it just seemed nonsensical that they would say, we're going to bring in someone you don't know who has maybe in your mind some associations with rival clubs that may or may not be helpful to your relationship when you when you need someone who you know is supporting you, as opposed to bringing one more staff member from Sydney and paying whatever it took to get them there. The flights, the accommodation and the lost wages. I, I think that I have questions. Tracy, looks like I you have I answers. I don't have all the answers, but <laughs> I'll, I'll make a couple of comments. Number one, part-time coaches may not have been able to get the time off work because um, I know having been one that I already for went two days a week of work in order to be able to coach. So, uh, you know, if if you if you've already negotiated some days off I wouldn't have been able to go put it that way um, secondly I don't know why Wayne Siegman there was also a guy from the Sandful or from the AFL in South Australia that was another coach that supported on that day so there was more than one so they were missing two part-time coaches I think 
And the third thing, comment on runners. I'm all for a female runner, um, but I would like that woman to be lightning fast because one of the advantages of having a male runner is the speed at which they can move. Right, I'll take that. And if the knees are shot, you're no good as a runner. I'm sorry, ladies. Love you, but no. <laughs> Why didn't they use Chrissy Steen, who's been a f- on the coaching panel for Giants, lives in Adelaide, is still coaching? Hello. Well, she yes, she was in Adelaide. She could have been. She could have been. They played a practice the match against Chrissy's team the day before. Like, would have made sense. Did they really? Huh. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I think we're moving on from this topic, are we? Yes. This will be a three-hour podcast. I think so. Um, What's if we're yes. talking about men in female roles? Then mm-hmm. can we go back to the big announcement that's been made this week in regards to the All Australian selection panel for? Yep. The AFLW. Let's talk about that. And it's yep. exciting that we've got Courtney Cramey and Mal Hickey joining the panel. Two Which former players. You know, We're happy fantastic. about that. Fantastic. But then my beef, I don't know if I call it a beef. Well, There's I think what was revealed was the, my the, leaf. the makeup of the panel, correct? Yeah, is, mm. you know... There's, there's some other people on the panel that are not former players. And if you look at the men's AFL selection panel, they're all former players. Now, we've now, this is our fifth season, we have got enough um, AFLW players who have retired. You know, Nikki Callahan, um, Courtney Gum, there's players all around. We've got enough. Why do they not get invited is, is what I'm just wondering. And we don't have the answers here, do we? <laughs> Guess not. Yep. No, no, I agree. I agree. And what we want is legitimacy. What's the point of doing this? I mean, the whole thing is a little bit of a farce anyway, the All-Australian team. But let's have a bit of legitimacy about this. Who are you, cho- who are you uh, choosing to be on the panel to then select the players? I'd rather say I'm happy with the full panel not feeling like some, I don't know, token inclusions or... I'd love to see some more ex-players. There's some fantastic people on there, don't get me wrong, but, you know, one of them's a nipple coach and nothing against Sean McMahon and I'm sure she probably wish she played football over netball, but we've got female footballers around. Beck Goddard's a former coach, well, a current coach, sorry, former player, but she's not tied to any team. So, you know, Jank, oh, no, Jank Cooper's West Coast, but there's Tracy Kick. There's players who are not tied in with current AFLW teams and coaches who, you know, their opinion would be hugely valuable. Yep. Seems like they need to look in the V, you reckon? You reckon that's <laughs> not what they're doing? Look in the V. <laughs> look in the V. Interesting. What's in the V? <laughs> v? Front and centre, front and centre, M. Yeah. Oh. In the See, v. you're looking for options, right? And you're looking in a V in front of you. See, and I never played a game of Aussie rules, and I know that. God. Sorry. All right. Go Let's talk about what's hot in the huddle. And it turns out. <laughs> Do we skip? What? Well, I thought that, that was kind of hot. Hot news. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I, I've got a lot. I just wanted to chime in with all the big V talk we used to have when I played Victorian footy. There was a lot of talk about V then, but maybe don't include that. 
That was Pride Round last week, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, was Pride it, Round every week back then, let me tell you. Was it, was it Big V Energy? B-V-E? Big V Energy, that's right. <laughs> All right, exactly similarly like in Sydney AFL, you, you know, you'd say get in the V and there was, there was a Q. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Sometimes too All many right. in that V. Oh, yeah. Now, look, pathways are always an issue and, and uh, recruitment is always an issue and it just turns out that we now have, thanks to Ash Barty, some new options. M, take it away. Well, wasn't it great? Was it uh, just in her match that would have put her, it was a fourth round match, I think it was, I think, uh, where at the end of the match, Casey Delacqua asked her, and I think, you know, the two of them probably set it up beautifully because they've obviously been chatting about this, but she said, what sport, if you could choose any, once you finish playing tennis, would it be? And I held my breath and sure enough, she came through with AFLW case. It's you and I, we're a package deal. We come as a package deal and they're hitting up Richmond to play AFLW footy. So watch this space. It's going to be a very exciting time in women's footy and especially for Ash Barty and Casey Delacqua. So Ash Barty has played uh, cricket, correct? Yes. Did Casey Delacqua play cricket as well? I have no idea. No, no. I don't know. She- but there, now, now there's a little bit of rivalry. I did a little bit of teasing online because Tennis Australia, I think it was, said don't get any ideas. And I said, on behalf of Coat Hanger Footy, not only do we have ideas, we understand the meeting's being set up next week with Kate Sheehan <laughs> and we've got feelings about it or something like that. And then I think there's a few rival clubs getting in now saying, no, I'm sorry, Casey, you're with us. Would that be I think Casey wanted to play with someone else, but uh, Ash being a Mad Tigers fan and a good mate with Trent Cochin has uh, basically, you know, said that it's a deal, a package deal. They're going together. I suppose the great thing about tennis is that it doesn't necessarily uh, create such a burden on your knees as football does. So it wouldn't be the same as moving from football to well, isn't tennis. It, isn't it usually tennis the case that... Might be Okay. Exactly. For ex-footballers go off and play tennis as the knees start to get a bit tired, right? But this is actually going the other way around, which is fantastic, which is just what we need. I think if Erin Phillips can give away her basketball career at 33, um, Ash could easily give away her tennis career around the same age and probably play for three or four years in the AFLW. And uh, I can't wait for that. And we oh. know she can play. Have you seen the warm-up in the corridor with the Sherry? No, I have oh. not. It's, it's a cricket ball or a share. She has a she kick all play. the time. Well, look, you know what? It might even make me cheer for Richmond. Let's not take <laughs> it too far. <laughs> all right. So we've, so we've said that's something we need. What we also need is an update from the tipping comp. Trace. Hey, I've got an update from the tipping comp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. Not all good news, It's but there's some good news for some people. <laughs> okay. So Hales, who hails from Sydney, is uh, <laughs> in the number one position. And that's uh, good news and we might hear from Hales. Hi, this is Hayley. I'm the talented tipper currently winning the tipping competition and you're listening to the Coat Hanger radio show and podcast. In uh, second position, Emma Phillips. No insider trading going on there. And third position, Nat Morgan. Now, I hate to say like we don't have any special information about the game so it's just a pure fluke that em and nat are up there kiwi's um risen i think she's number 19 
And uh, Fee, keep keep voting there with your heart uh, at 31. Not not last by any stretch. Now I've got bad news about myself after a monumental rise last week to number five. Um, I I have two accounts now. Uh, T kicker and T kicker. She's been gaming the system. I know I've got two accounts um, because I was unable to get in and do my tips. So I'm I'm currently in 35th from 5th to 35th and then to 44th with this week's. And uh, it's a little bit of a sad story. Uh, are you going to cut and paste it, Fee, or am I telling it again? No, tell it again. So it's a little bit of a sad story how I went from 5th to 35th and 44th uh, because after getting to 5th, I logged in last week to do my tips and I could not log in. So um, I tried again. It said change your password. So I did. And when I got in, I was in a totally other different account. I could no longer access my tips. So I contacted the people at the AFLW social media in the, in the app. What is going on? I said, and they said, send me some screenshots. So I did. T Kicker and T Kicker 2, my two little names in the tipping comp. And they said back, sent back an email saying, try logging into the other account with Trace Licker. And uh, <laughs> Trace Liquor. Why would they? Is this say a true that, story, Trace? Trace? Is this it a is, true story? This is a true story because you know, as you know, on the keyboard on the phone, K is does, next to does L. This have anything to do uh, with the V? And uh, nothing have... to do with being in the V. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the moral of the story is I now have two accounts. They cannot be merged, and my fate in the tipping competition is not looking good. <laughs> I, oh dear. I'm really feeling sad for you, Trace. What can I say? I've really got the feels over that one. Where are you sitting on the ladder there? Well, it depends which account you're looking. But uh, my best account <laughs> is I'm definitely 30... not going to trace liquor, let me tell you. <laughs> 35th. 35th. <laughs> what a contribution. Thanks. But uh, so Kiwi just wants to rem- remind us that Sam Stoza is a contender as an ex, uh, well, she's not yet ex. Tennis player. Played a Sam couple of games Stoza for the Western Wolves. AFLW. She played a couple of games in the Western Wolves. She in, kicked uh, nine about goals in her and... first game for Western Wolves in 2010, apparently. Correct. Yep. Good on you, Sam Kiwi. Stoza, you were and I want this on the record. Sam, I will follow you to any club you go to. Does it does it mean Giants can pick her because she technically had a game in Sydney first? It was only pre-season and it was a lot of friendly matches, but um, nine goals in nine goals in your first hit out, um, pretty impressive. She kicked straight, super hands, um, and, you know, everyone's telling her to retire from tennis. So. Well, it doesn't even have to be on clay. No, she's very good on clay. I think people don't realise she's um, not this rubber court kind of style. She's a very, very good clay player, but I think she lives in um, Queensland when she's home. Oh, Let's get no. Sam on the show. Let's just get Sam on the show. Let's <laughs> let's set that up. All right, Sam Stoza, next guest on the coat hanger. Right, moving on. <laughs> we went to the Giants match on Saturday, and we did actually keep our sixty percent efficiency rate. I was impressed because we had a dropout. Sorry, I'll say that again. We had we had uh, someone out with injury or birthday parties or some rubbish. (laughs) But thank goodness Tracy Kick stepped in as an emergency. So 60% efficiency rate, Coat Hanger Football Radio Show uh, panel at Blacktown. 
And, uh, well, was it a great game? We won. That was great. They won. Sorry, I'll say that again. They won. I think that uh, the Suns had the Giants on the hop early on. I think they got a bit of a fright. I don't think they had control of the game for most of the game. I was quite concerned. I loved uh, Elise Parker yet again. Had a great game. Uh, Tate Mackerel also had some great uh, moments on the field. And um, uh, Coruscant got the ball but didn't quite convert to um, the goals I was expecting. So I was saying to my nephew, oh, watch, Cora's got it. Oh, no. Cora's got it. Oh, no. Uh, but I was able to pick out people like Pepper Randall and I haven't even mentioned Perco yet this season, but I was so excited that she was uh, picked for, for the Suns. I love watching Perco on the, on the field uh, and, and I love her, her passion. And when she's in the right place, her accuracy is, is, uh, can be devastating for the opposition. Didn't quite translate that way this time. She still had a bit of an impact, but, um, yeah, it, it it didn't quite turn out as the Suns would have liked. So the Suns are now uh, three games and no wins. Uh, now, is it Brit? Not Brit Tully. It's Brit. There's an ex-GWS player who's now with Perry. Suns. Brit Perry. I was trying to remember her name. She had quite a few touches. She had quite a few well, she had at least one or two kicks on goal, I think, if I remember correctly. Don't think they translated to goals. I, I thought it was um, really interesting coaching to put um, Sarah Perkins in the ruck because they gave away so much height to Jess Allen and Erin McKinnon. So, um, and if you watch, if you go back and can watch any of it, even in slow play, you don't even have to watch slow play. She was outleaped. You know, don't get me wrong, I think Perko is a fantastic move around the field, but these two rucks are very, very tall. And you kind of can see it a little bit of body in there if you can get first use of the football. They still weren't getting first use of the football. So then the other place to make value is, um, you know, have her as a receiver. She can deliver a nice long bomb, but she's a very good receiver of the football. And I just thought her time in the ruck, I don't think they got the best use out of the skills that she brings to the game. And um, Aaron and Jess just had a field day. But the other ruck they had for Suns, she was competitive. She got up the same, her hand the same height as the giant ruck. So, um, you know, made much more of a contest of it. So I thought that was a really interesting coaching decision. I felt they were in the game in patches until they sort of threw that sort of option around, just different to probably what I would coach. Maybe yeah. Tracy would have a view on that. Oh, I don't really know, Kiwi. I think. I don't know if there was something wrong with the ruck and they were shorter ruck. That was one potential. The other potential was it was that if they wanted her body in there just to outbody because their ruck is very – the Sun's main ruck is very young um, and quite light-bodied and Erin uh, and um, Jess Allen are, you know, quite – competitive physically so I don't know that's my guess I mean my observation from the game is still if, if I was Alan I'd probably be pretty disappointed with the overall performance um, you know they had a chance to run away with it 
and didn't um, and kept the sons were really kept in there all along. Um, but what worryingly is the inside 50 efficiency for the Giants. I think, you know, it's they're really lacking um, some structures and some forwards who kick goals. Um, that, that would, that's my concern for them. Yeah, when I saw it was going to rain and then the rain was falling throughout the game, I was thinking, oh, that's so good. But but it rains for the other team too. You know, you can't actually say that's an excuse. I mean, they, they came away with the win and I'm very excited for them. And particularly as that was supposed to be uh, the first home game where where a crowd could attend and they were supposed to be honouring Cinder Barclay, our friend, and uh, for all those reasons, it was good that they won. It just wasn't a decisive win. It was, uh, I did lean over to Trace at one point and say, it was just as well that it's the Suns they're playing because this wouldn't cut it with with another team. Uh, Yeah. So, Fee, it sounds like you're not too optimistic about the remainder of the season for the Giants. Well, uh, I watched uh, three courts of tonight, West Coast Eagles versus Brisbane Lions, and I reckon if the if West Coast Eagles play like that against the Giants next week, the Giants should worry. Now, I know that um, close observers are saying that that. West Coast Eagles go hard early and then they drop back. I just feel as if if, if they go, go hard early and they uh, create uh, such an impact early against the Giants next week, the Giants will drop their heads and they will not, uh, they'll, they'll lose momentum. So I, th- I think the Giants have some, they still have a lot of work to do. I don't have the answers. I just know that things aren't just not connecting is it their list i don't know i feel very very awkward suggesting they should not have certain players and choose other players i just want to see the players they have performing well i think their list is okay i thought the team that they picked in the weekend was pretty good i'd much prefer to see georgia garnett play ahead of erin todd i think she's she's good height she's good size fast and really got involved in the game. Um, I don't know if she ended up on report from that tackle, but um, she she's exciting to see. And I thought Taylor Davies has been on the list, is it four years now, three or four years? And it's good to see her finally, three years, finally marking and kicking goals, you know, sort of bringing something is, is the reason she's taken up the spot on the list, I guess, is getting getting those nipple hands out there and around the Sharon. Um, and, yeah, I just, I think they've got the players. They've just got a need to work out a really good system to make use of what those players bring and what the giant style of play is to adapt to that. You know, one thing that just I still find curious, Kiwi, and uh, everybody would might want to comment on this, but I keep saying, so let's say about, um, I think about almost a third of the current list, no, just over a third of the current list are Sydney AFL players at GWS. And I still think if you were to take the best players from AFL Sydney, 
uh, let's say they've got the best 13 players there at the moment from AFL Sydney. If you take the 14th best player from AFL Sydney, who's been playing football for a number of years, the footy smarts, the knowledge of the game, the ability to make decisions is going to be better than, I'm sorry, any netball or basketball or anyone who's never played football before who comes into a team for their elite sporting prowess. And as a coach, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I know that at the beginning that it was a strategy also to promote the game and to, to look for players from other codes but I don't understand the cross-coding when there are it's not like there are there is not player 15 16 17 18 19 20 in AFL Sydney I, I dispute it every day yeah I couldn't agree with you more on that Trace and I think those of us who have played and coached footy you know that it takes quite a long time to understand footy movements on field and the nuances of the game it is a pretty intricate sport and if you've played it for a while, there's nothing that compares with that experience you can bring on field. And I think, you know, even if you're not quite as athletic as a top-level netballer or a basketballer, you're definitely going to have an advantage footy-wise if you've played for a while, you've been on the footy field. I also think there's, there's and I, I think you, you're saying it too, but haven't quite used the word, maturity. So there were some players who were on the verge of retirement could have played a season at Giants, could have laid the foundation, could have led the way and brought forward the new, the younger players. They could have forged ahead. They got a bush bash, damn it. They could have, sorry, I wish. (laughs) I was just, I was just thinking, you know, moving through the wilderness and. um... We are at a new high. (laughs) B, can you please call this the bush bash round on the podcast? <laughs> oh, Lord, I actually want to keep that in, but just keep it a bit clean. Yeah. So my, my point being, <laughs> I, I seem to say these, these two phrases often. My point being, and in my defence, <laughs> so <laughs> my point is there were some sensational players in Sydney AFL in the women's comp who could have led the way and they were overlooked for younger players, younger, less experienced players, younger players who weren't even from AFL, weren't even playing Aussie rules football. And the game has suffered in um, New South Wales. The game has suffered in Sydney. The Giants have suffered and Alan McConnell is still trying to correct that, according to um, what I read in Georgina Hibbard's book. There is still so much damage done by that first year, and it pisses me off so much. I'm yelling at my friends on the Zoom. I really get so passionate about this because I was excited about this. I was excited about AFLW. I was excited about Sydney. I wanted the Swans to have a team, and they didn't, so I decided to support the Giants, just like Georgina Hibbard. And you know what happened? They They absolutely stuffed it up for us from the start. They told those young players that they were a development team. What the hell is that? What the hell does that mean? It means they don't matter. It means they don't count. It means they shouldn't expect anything from themselves or each other. And they certainly certainly should not expect results on the board. It, It drives me nuts that this is what was whispered in their ears and was a pervasive message all the time. And that's what has translated to what we see in their performance on the field. And I'm so angry about it, I can't even contain myself. Someone else should speak now. Um, Can I just, well, 
just on that fee, <laughs> I'm trying to breathe here. Um, when you talk about the damage, also the young players, there were some 18-year-olds that were straight out of youth girls who don't play footy or had to have time off from footy because of the damage uh, mentally or psychologically that was done to them back then, you know. And it's Erin is one who survived it and she'll talk about her anxiety levels and things, but something else. And, um, yeah, so that's one thing. But I think the other challenge with the Giants is by not picking – local players because anyone who's been around women's footy in Sydney would know B Pride, Holly Coggle, they're the ones who should have been drafted. They were extremely talented footballers that we never got to see play AFLW and you wouldn't get that in Victoria. No way. But what the Giants did was they've picked a bunch from Victoria. They've had, they've part of the Giants um, framework is they take some from Canberra, some from Sydney. It's, it's a real mix. And then there's a few South Australians that have come in and out. It's a real mix that they've got to play or try to gel different styles of football. Because if you look at the Victorians, they're all used to playing what they did in their VFL level before, or VWFL, before it became VFLW. If you look at the Adelaide Crows, I think they're about 90% um, all players from South Australia. Fremantle, they're all from WA. Brisbane, they're all from Queensland. So they've got their style of playing football and they know how to go. And, you know, it was no fluke that Adelaide won in season one. Beck Goddard's wisdom and she just said, you know what, this is how those states play football. This is what we have to do to counter that. And, you know, the results speak for itself. And I think, you know, there's just too many dynamics and too many different ways of playing that I don't think the Giants have got their own um, their, their own um, footprint in that way yet. Yep. That was a much nicer way of putting it. Thanks, Kiwi. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Fee. Um, low expectations delivers low results. There's no doubt about it in, under, in any, whether it be at work or at footy. Um, that's a proven fact. Um, you know, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, um, yeah, there it's was... Just, isn't, it, isn't it so disturbing, Tracy, when uh, and, and M and Kiwi and Nat, who isn't here, that, that uh, some of the players are friends of ours, people we know, players we know, people we respect, people we wanted to see perform, and they had this uh, mantra kind of inserted into their, into their consciousness and, and so they were set up to fail. Yeah, there's no doubt that some of the decisions at the beginning of the um, formation of the Giants were curious, that's for sure. Um, and I think that uh, we, we are still recovering from some of those, but I think there are still some patterns of uh, some of the thoughts and some of the behaviours, um, you know, don't necessarily set the team up for success but, I mean, we'll be could be proven wrong. I mean, they've got the win behind them after this week, hopefully, and they'll go out and, and uh, be a bit more settled and give it a crack. We'll see. All right, we need to wrap up. But before yes, we please. do, I think everybody wants to have little shout-outs. I have a few. <laughs> I want to shout-out to all of the junior medical staff who set the written exam for the Royal Australasian College of Physicians today. It's a big deal. So I wish them very well. They worked so hard and I hope that 
everyone gets through because they all deserve to. Em. Uh, I would like to give a shout out to uh, a supporter of ours, Kath Angus in Brisbane, who is also a mad keen Brisbane Lions fan, her and her family, young oh, family. Lions. Yep, a couple of young girls too, who they go along to every match, um, major fans, members of the club. And she got on one of our posts last week on Facebook and said, I've got two workmates onto this pod already. Unfortunately, due to everyone getting jiggy in first wave lockdown, we haven't had a chance to gossip about it yet. So <laughs> big props to Kath and her mates at work who are all over the coat hanger. Thank you very much. Good on you, Kath. <laughs> Kiwi, um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Newtown Breakaways. They're having uh, their annual AFLX Carnival down at Marnie Park. It's uh, scheduled for Sunday the 21st of March. So this is a lot of fun. You have small teams, you play all day long. And I think there's two divisions and somebody comes away with a couple of um, cups. But uh, there was toyed with an idea last year to put in a master's team or master's grade. I don't know if Nat's still up for her. I think she's out training tonight so she can play in the carnival. Um, the rest of us, we clearly don't need to train. Uh, but entries close this Friday, the 19th of February. So if you want to get involved, get onto their website, newtownbreakaways.com, and uh, you'll find all the information there. Great. Yep. So before we go, I do want to shout out to Georgina Hibbard. We are going to interview her because we want to hear a little bit about her book, Never Surrender, her in-depth uh, look at the year that she was embedded with the Giants for the albeit shortened season in 2020. Georgina, um, lots of love to you. We were trying to meet her, meet up with her this week and unfortunately she had to say goodbye to her beloved dog who saw her through her PhD and many years of, of, of love. So we're, we're sending our, our best wishes to you, Georgina. And so uh, you are listening to the Coat Hanger Football Radio Show on 2SER 107.3. Catch us every Monday, 7 p.m. And our podcast with extra content where you usually get your podcasts. And we will have content in that fifth quarter for you, including Pepper Randall and some sounds from the grounds at Blacktown International Sports park follow us on the socials twitter insta and facebook and for the best harbour views in women's footy tune, tune in to, to the coat hanger so what does it mean for you to be live at the footy instead of watching from home uh the you can't replace the feeling here at the football live to watch these women they play hard and fast and demonstrate their passion for the game it's 100 percent engaging they're role models for our up-and-coming players. Now that we've got pathways for women in AFL, it's just awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it feels great because I was watching it and seeing everything and we can enjoy the win and, yeah, pretty much everything about it. What does it mean to be live at the football instead of watching from home? The atmosphere is amazing, especially for the women's um, games. The people are just awesome. Everyone just gets together and cheers for their team and we're all just happy, even for the other side. So, yeah, it's awesome. What's it like to uh, be able to come and watch football live instead of watching from home on telly? It's so good. It's just good to have that community, look around the crowd and see people that you know, have a smile, high five, and just hearing the crowd get behind the girls. It's so much better. I'm loving it. Yeah, we've travelled round trip 40Ks to come and watch today's game and we were not disappointed. Awesome football, thanks. We come from Manly, Northern Beach.
Okay, I have the great pleasure of being joined by GWS Giants star defender, Pepper Randall. Hey, Pepper, thanks so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, there's a hell of a lot to discuss, I think, at this point of the season in AFLW for you guys at the Giants. There's, you, just, you guys have been on one hell of a ride, haven't you, for the start of the season and leading up to the season as well. You know, in no particular order, you had to obviously get yourselves out of Sydney. You were in Albury for a while. You were on Elise Parker's farm. You've been bunkered down in Adelaide. You had to scamper out of Perth after round one with a COVID scare. You've been in quarantine. And, of course, you've been dealing with the tragic death of teammate Jacinda Barclay. How have you guys coped with all that? Um, yes, it has been quite a tumultuous, I'd probably say, eight months nearly. Um, uh, yeah, I guess it's probably one of those like things that um, I feel like I'll probably look back on in about six months' time and kind of realise the toll that it either took or, or be able to see clearly kind of how we deal, dealt with this season. Um, I think as a club we have a, a very good mindset that's just kind of get on with the job. Um, and that's really helpful when, you know, things are rocky and, and you've got games and you've got, you know, boxes that need to be ticked and the likes. But it is also heavily balanced with making sure that the welfare of our players is paramount. Um, and obviously when we lost Barks, you know, anything, uh, that was obviously before the season, but we were still training and we were still together as a group and, welfare just completely took uh, precedence there. So it's something that we balance very well. And I think, um, you know, as a club, we have a, a long history of having players, you know, be relocated from their homes um, and have to kind of like live away with groups of players uh, under maybe more trying circumstances than others, other clubs. So I think, in a sense, in a weird way, Giants were quite well equipped to go into a hub and to just have that crazy roller coaster ride. And I think, yeah, a lot of the time we we're a good team that just kind of laughs because otherwise you'll cry. Uh, <laughs> so we're pretty good at that, and we're pretty good at looking after each other as well. Um, kind of goes without saying that as a group and as as teammates you know, we all have a responsibility to look after each other. And that's, I think, come from a few years of being up here um, with, with players who don't have any family and friends. Um, and, and that just became something that we took on as a group. So, in, and we did discuss a few times, we were just kind of wondering, you know, how would other teams have coped with the past eight months? Would it have been, you know, exactly the same or, or, or has it been in a strange way kind of a, a bit easier because we're a group who's in some ways like kind of used to just that really tumultuous pretty crazy ride um so yeah I don't know I think we've dealt with it really well but um definitely towards the end of the hub you know as we were coming out of Perth and and we'd moved maybe I think it was like the eighth time or something and there were def like I I personally was just pretty keen to just like be in one place. I think what we found was um, once we were somewhere, we were fine as a group, but it was like the traveling and the moving and and just the like accumulated fatigue from that that was really hard to deal with. And then trying to train around all of that 
Um, so it was getting it was getting pretty tired towards the end. So I'm pretty happy to be home. Yeah. And uh, footy clubs often talk about family, don't they? I think all the footy clubs I've been associated with always say, you know, it's a family here and it certainly is. And I imagine from what you're saying that the Giants have a particularly special understanding of family, given all the, as you say, all the imports from around the country, more than any other team in the AFLW, that's the case for you guys. And therefore you could look after each other. I like that idea that you have a really good, a good sense of resilience, good, you know, resilience built into you as you <laughs> move around the country and face all these kind of incredible things. Um, just to extend off that a little bit, that I also, of course, most, most of the girls are working part-time or perhaps some of them full-time outside of AFLW season. That must have interrupted your preparation, your job, your working capacity, your income perhaps, has it? Or were any of the girls in your team been really affected in that way? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's something as players that we were really prepared for, at least psychologically, not maybe uh, financially. But um, going into this season, there was quite a lot of discussion between clubs and between players and uh, with us and the AFLPA around the impacts and expectations of going into a hub, especially in a really tumultuous job market. I think there was a lot of concern from players that there would be an expectation that we go into a hub um, without kind of regard for how potentially detrimental it could be to walk away from a job in in the current kind of economic times. So we pushed as a group of players and, and sorry, most, most clubs were in communication with the PA and the likes. And we, we pushed quite heavily that there would be financial support or a strong message of support that players would not have to go into a hub if they felt that their job was going to be compromised. Um, and I think we want to make sure that that was really pertinent and really important and stressed very heavily um, that girls shouldn't feel pressured to go into a hub if it was going to significantly impact them financially. And of course that's easy to say when it comes to, you know, the choice between, you know, I get to play um, and train with my team or I get to stay home by myself and work. It's, it, you know, you might have all the support in the world from the club saying no worries, but you still do feel that pressure and, and ultimately it is something we all want to do. So there were definitely girls impacted. You know, obviously we had Lou Stevenson stay home um, in New South Wales and that, that, was, that would have been really tough for her um, just being away from the team, I think, and um, training by herself like she was training by herself with one coach for weeks and I think for a period there she was training with the boys as well um but then you know in the same sense we had girls in the hub who were um you know happy to be in the hub for two to three weeks but anything beyond that side has become quite stressful because it meant that they'd used up all their annual leave or, or they were concerned that they um if they had casual work that they wouldn't have any work once we returned um I would say in that regard we actually were um, compensated financially uh, for each day. So I guess like for um, income lost. And, and that was actually really helpful, I think, for a large number of players. Obviously, it wasn't, it was um, average. So it wasn't going to, you know, kind of be exactly what every single person was earning. But it was definitely better than the original kind of concept, which was just going to a hub. Um, so that helped, but I think, yeah, 
inside the hub, there was definitely that kind of stress about I'm okay for this week, but I don't know what's happening next week and I can't tell my boss what's going on. And then you add into it that, you know, you're away from partners and you're away from home and you're away from, you know, pets and, and whatever those kind of normal support networks you have outside of football. So there definitely was a lot of additional stress um, in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. You've spoken very openly in the past about some mental health challenges that you've had in your life and throughout footy as well. Something I think the footy world is very grateful for actually. Because of that, and I imagine that you have sort of natural leadership capabilities anyway, do you find some of the other girls in your team come to you to talk about their own mental health issues? And has that been particularly prominent given the circumstances of late? Um, I think, yeah, it's a, Interesting question. I think um, I'm not sure if I would say players would come directly to me to speak about that, but I think it's definitely meant that there's there's a m- massive openness in our team around mental well-being, um, and I think that also comes from Alicia Eva, who is very uh, kind of she has a very strong stance on making sure that that's something that's really um, prominent in, in kind of top of the list in terms of making sure our players are all right. Um, and I think she values that greatly as something as well that is going to contribute to our performance. So I think more so than just myself personally, um, it's just something that's probably, it's, it's something that's heavily discussed and, and discussed very openly in our team. Um, you know, I think our girls have a great awareness of what kind of support they need and when that support's not there, they're, they're comfortable to speak up and say, you know, we need, you know, X, Y, Z person or, or thing to help us here because, you know, for example, going into a hub, you know, there's a lot of players concerned about their own mental well-being and how they'd be able to cope. Um, and I'm assuming, I'm hoping that most players felt that that was at least discussed. I think, you know, there was definitely times when we felt that there needed to be more and we had those conversations really openly, which was fantastic. So I think, yeah, maybe if you look back five years ago, it wouldn't be something that was discussed or or maybe even identified. I think that's what's really good um, is that all players, whether they've necessarily been touched personally by mental illness, um, or just mental well-being in, in general uh, and, and how that relates to footy. They're, they're all, I think, kind of well-educated and, and quite aware of when they need more support and when the support's lacking. So I think that's something that is really paramount to our team. It comes from our coach as well. It's, uh, yeah, well-being is a massive, massive part of our club and I think yeah, that's kind of contributed to that openness. And perhaps that's why I felt so comfortable to speak out about it, you know, a few years back as well. I never really felt that it would be a, an issue. It's yeah. been a really positive shift in football, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's, yeah, it's become something that's, you know, it's part of the program. It's part of the program just as much as, you know, needing your physios and needing your doctors and the likes to get you out on the field, not necessarily just related to you know performance and the likes but you know that understanding that mental well-being is so imperative to good performance and you know being enjoying your your life is so imperative to enjoying football I'm, I'm 
really glad that football clubs have kind of, you know, realized the the benefit of having that support there and, and making that something that's really, really important to their programs as well as just to people's lives. But yeah. 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 Great. I just want to come back to your point before about training, of course, all the shifts and changes you've had to make in your training schedules over the past, uh, must be a couple of months, I suppose, at least, but certainly the past month. Have you, have you been one of those players that had to source a treadmill for your home <laughs> in some sort uh-huh. of a lockdown? God, I, that is definitely not my style. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I actually was really lucky that I didn't really find myself in a lockdown, like in any time during, uh, like, you know, scheduled training. Thank God, because I just don't know if I have the uh, discipline to get on a treadmill or a bike inside my own house every single day. Um, we had a, which we uh, could convey the look on your face right now. <laughs> as you say that. I actually, I couldn't think of anything worse ever yeah. than having to motivate myself in my room on a bike. I just, I couldn't do that. Um, we did have Annalise, our teammate come home from WA earlier in the year and she had to quarantine for 14 days in her bedroom and she was on the bike and I just was so grateful it wasn't me. Um, you know, we had Louie and, and Alicia come back from Melbourne and they had bikes delivered to their house. We obviously had all the That's girls right. in Melbourne training by themselves. The start of pre-season, wasn't it, for them? And they oh, didn't they end up in another player's house for two weeks? And Oh, they were at Heath Shaw's house, actually. That's right. Yeah. I just couldn't fathom. I have massive respect to anyone who had to train in their rooms or in a hotel room. Oh, it's just... It's just heinous. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so grateful that I was with, I was not in that situation. I was able to train with the group and I have yep. such a large amount of respect. Although maybe, I don't know, maybe if I was in like hotel quarantine for 14 days, the boredom would get to a point where I'd be like, all right, on the bike. Yep. I'm you sure could set yourself little challenges sure, or yeah. make it competitive in some way. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's definitely not my style. Yep, yep. <laughs> Got that loud and clear from you, I reckon. <laughs> um, now, you've been playing some excellent footy, including a bit of a run-with role recently on Erin Phillips. Uh, I was watching the game and I actually thought this is great. I was really excited about it. I was hoping that match-up would happen right from the start. And I don't know that you got it all game, but in parts anyway. Um, I imagine she's got plenty of respect from you for you. How was that to play on her? And, you know, she didn't get a lot of it while you were there. Um, I, yeah, I mean, since my first, since the first game I ever played against Adelaide, I have in some, at some point in the game, played on Phillips. And I think, um, you know, I, I love I love going into a game knowing that I've got a really challenging forward to play on. Like, you know, I think... You revel in those kind of situations, yeah, don't you? I, yeah, I really look forward to that. And, you know, I find it, you know, really exciting to kind of, you know, watch all the footage and, and figure out how they play and figure out okay, how am I going to, you know, play on this person this week. And, you know, often I'll go into a game being like, you know, they either can't get a possession or they can't get a touch. And it's definitely not a very exciting, I think, you know, maybe not to watch, especially if you're someone who's going to watch Aaron Phillips play. Like my role is basically to like ruin that for you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I can only worry about what's going on at my club and I can only worry about my own, you know, making sure I'm selected and doing the best thing for the team. So um, I really enjoy playing on her. Um, it's definitely been like a, 
uh, it's been a good matchup. And, uh, you know, Al um, is not a huge uh, tagging fan. And that uh, sometimes I wish he would let me just hard tag. Um, but that's fine. You know, it's how he plays. So I think. So you could uh, ruin even further. Yeah. To call um, you Pepper Ruiner Randall. Yeah, look, I, I ruined the I, fun. I think uh, we'll, we'll, someone asked me the other day in a game, or if you even had a touch yet, and it did make me laugh because, like, I it's just not part of a game that I think about um, very much. Usually, the stat I will check is my opponent's, not my own, because um, yep. it's not necessarily that relevant. So, um, I think I have found a little more balance in the past few years. Um, not going so heavy on the tag. Um, and, you know, me and Al would clash heads, you know, in the kind of second year of me at Giants. I wanted to hard tag and nothing else. And he wanted me to find a bit more balance and continue to play to our structure uh, and not get so caught up on one player. Um, and that's been something that I've worked on is just kind of trying to find, you know, that balance, you know, because Phillips, she plays through the midfield and then she'll tend to drop off and, and slide forward. So, you know, I remember playing on her once where I was pushing up into the midfield and Al was just going nuts because he's like, Randall, get out of the midfield. Get back. <laughs> yep. Do not go there. Don't even go near there. So <laughs> um, it's been good in a sense, I think, you know, and, and it's, it's also opened up other possibilities. And I think it's made me, I do have tunnel vision when it comes to matchups. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, I love... I love playing against Adelaide because like, you know, their forward line and now they've got Randall there as well. Like I got to play on Chelsea Randall on the weekend and she's as a, as a defender, she's someone I watch quite heavily and, and, and want to emulate a lot of her game um, the way she plays. Cause she plays a very different game to me. You know, she plays off her player completely and she's so good aerially and, you know, it's all the things that I don't do. So, you know, I have massive respect for her. It's really, really fun to play on her um, and just kind of, yeah, I guess she was a defender who's now got the freedom to do whatever she wants up forward and, and use all those assets uh, without the kind of um, being held account to her opponent so heavily. So, yeah, Adelaide's a great matchup um, defensively. Since we're talking about Adelaide, now look, I don't want to dwell on this match too much. It was difficult for you guys, obviously. But from a spectator point of view, watching the TV, we couldn't get into the ground, of course, because it was locked out to the public. So we're all, you know, sitting around the TV watching and um, because there was no crowd, you could actually hear you guys on field really clearly. Yeah. And when I say clearly, I mean, there's lots of, you know, everyone's talking and it's kind of messy, but it was interesting to pick up on really just how much talk there was. I'm curious, can you tell me how important is that talk on field? And what um, kind of talk is it as well? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, in the back line, it's like probably the biggest part of our game. Um, and I've said this, I think I've said this, I would have said this at some point before, but in my first year at GWS, there was kind of like me and another player were going into selection kind of um, both, both likely choices for selection. And um, in the end, Al pulled me aside and he said, I'm going to pick you because, you know, you and her are exactly the same, you know, physically and your contest work and everything, but you just talk more and she doesn't speak. And I think that for go. me was like, oh, okay, wow, that's like a really easy way to ins like it's a skill that I think probably doesn't 
it's, it's, there's, I think there's a tendency in women's footy that like either you're someone who's really loud and talks on the field or you're just like quiet and you just listen um, or you just, you don't speak. And I think that does frustrate me because it means when those players aren't on the field, it's, it's pretty quiet. Um, I personally believe that like talk on the field and, and constant instruction should be something that's just as imperative as being able to kick and handball. Um, because it is so key to making, to ensuring that your structure is holding and that, especially in the back line, you know, you've got constant matchups that you need to be ensuring are working. You know, if, if, if any team, i.e. Adelaide's doing stuff with their, their mids and their forwards and they're constantly moving, if you're not talking the whole time, you get caught out. Um, yeah. I would argue that it's absolutely imperative. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. massive part of my game. It's pro- and it's, it's always a thing that I go back to if I feel like I'm, a bit out of it, perhaps, you know, it's something you can do without the football in your hand and have a really big impact on the team. Um, And I think, yeah, it's, I wish it was something I find I've done a little bit of coaching in the past and I always find it's the hardest thing to get uh, girls to do is to be loud and to be quite like aggressive um, with using their voice and, you know, I, I've been in teams in the past where you get pulled off to the side and you get told that the way you're speaking is a bit too aggressive and it needs to be a little more kind of considerate and you don't want to hurt people's feelings and the likes. Um, I think that is, there's definitely merit in that. Like, you know, the way you use your voice needs to be really constructive and it needs to be really effective. You can't just be screaming at people for no reason. Um, but again, I think also realising how important and especially in defense, like you're literally the last, the last line. And if you can't sort out your matchups, like, and you've got less than a few seconds to do so, like there's often not time to say that in a really constructive, pleasant way. Um, and there's good understanding, especially in the back line, how each of us as players communicate and, and understanding that, you know, it's never kind of, malintentioned it's always for the benefit of the group so yeah I think and I say this to young players all the time you know we've got a few young players pushing for selection and and they're like what can I do and I was literally like the easiest thing you can do is just use your voice more um in training and and I think like the best place to start is just start talking even if you might not be saying the right thing so much about it is just getting confidence in using your voice that way because I don't think it's something that a lot of girls are used to doing um yeah I think you're touching on something really interesting here because I, I had a light bulb moment in my footy years ago where our captain at the time was very quiet on field like a really you know <laughs> exceedingly quiet <laughs> and uh she and I had a coffee together and I sort of very gently said well what's the story you know do you feel like you can bring a bit more voice on field and she said I don't think I can express myself on field that way because as soon as I bring volume in my voice it it's aggressive I feel like I'm being aggressive and the light bulb was that of course as women and as girls we're told in so many ways and it, through so much messaging to be quiet you know to be good girls to be demure to be polite and of course the association with raising your voice is that you're not doing that and you're breaking those rules and it's very difficult I think to get through to some girls and women that it's important as you say imperative on field to bring that it's not aggression, but it's certainly a directiveness in your voice or something like that. And you mm-hmm. literally have, you have bodies you've got to protect with your voice, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I also think this as well about um, 
I've been thinking about this in like regards to like niggling and, and um, when it comes to hard tag, like the chat that comes with it. And, you know, this is something that a lot of, it's something that I've seen in, in the men's game for years. And it's something in a capacity that I've tried to emulate as well. And it's funny because, um, well, it's interesting. There are a few other players in the comp that also niggle and will chat. And, um, you know, I think when it comes to kind of chat on your opponent, there's, there's absolutely boundaries and there's things that you absolutely cannot say. And I think there's, there's a really clear understanding of that in the AFLW. But it's interesting, I find, that if you do have any sort of kind of chat on the field, you're regarded really poorly um, as a, like, you know, for lack of a better word, like you're a bitch, basically. Um, and I find that really interesting that, and, and I think in the same as hard tag, like it's not perceived in a positive way by the greater public it seems to have a bit of a negative connotation in the women's and I know in the men's like you know taggers aren't necessarily the most loved people in the world but I think it's really interesting how kind of negatively it is portrayed or perceived sorry and I wonder as well I've wondered in the past you know is that because you know we are women who are behaving in a way that we're not kind of traditionally supposed to you know we're being really not adhering to those yeah feminine stereotypes yeah and you know we're actively going out of our way to kind of like disrupt someone and distract them and and to to just yeah make them basically have shit time um and I guess I I constantly have to reason with myself that it's like I'll often walk away from games like quite or I'll have my mum say like, oh, do you have to do that? Like, do you have to be so mean? And, and I'm kind of like, well, I think the way I have to think about it is really like it's, it's literally my selection and, and the way I play versus the forward I'm playing on. And I can't be worried about, you know, them. I can't be worried about them getting a game next week. I have to only focus on myself and my team. But it is something I constantly have to remind myself of and constantly be like, you know, it is a way of playing and it's a way of playing that's been around in the men's game for years. And I think it's really interesting that you feel quite uncomfortable doing it. And I yeah, think it's, it's, So you're saying there's like an, there's an undue focus on women doing these things that the men don't experience? I'm not, I'm not sure exactly like you know, what it's like in the men's game if if taggers are kind of disliked as well um, within, I'm sure they are. But um, I think... They're the ruiners after all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of ranting here, but it has been something that I've no, thought right. about over the past few years, just kind of how negatively it's and, and obviously there's taggers in other teams and the like or taggers who like to use chat and voice to kind of distract their their um, opponents and you know the way that they're perceived when I hear you know Giants players talk about them I'm like oh wow that must be how people talk about me like um and I, I think it's really interesting I think it flows back into that same concept that you just spoke about is it's really not adhering to those stereotypes in any way it's exactly what women are not supposed to do so, yeah, 
I don't have any takeaway from that, but just well, you're support. doing all, all power to you, I say. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not stopping. Don't worry, and I don't. Yeah, I'd, good, good. I'd love to see more kind of like tag, and you, you've got to continually find ways to build on your game, I guess. And sometimes they're not, I guess, like the standard ways. I don't know. Uh, look, I think I think Giants fans would be devastated if you changed your ways. Oh no, I'm not stopping. Don't worry, Giants fans. Yep. Good to hear. Hey, <laughs> listen, we're, um, we've thrifted over time, which doesn't surprise me at all because I, I'm terrible at keeping time and you're speaking about some very fascinating things, so I'm quite happy to let it roll. But I've just got one more question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you were one of four who stood up for better pay, longer seasons, etc. some of which is just beginning to play out, I suppose, in very small ways. Mm. I'm just curious where that fight is at now for you. Um, just a small question to finish on. Yeah, yeah, that'll be brief. Uh, I think it is some, it is not, oh yeah. Okay. Um, I guess where that in a sense kind of ended was the, the last CBA and, and that getting signed off and in a, in a way, as you say, we actually are seeing some of those changes and I'm sure COVID plays into it, but we obviously aren't playing with a conference system this year, which is something that a lot of players were, were quite uh, frustrated by when the last CBA was being negotiated. Um, and I think, again, with COVID, having that um, additional pay in in the hub was really important and I think set a really good precedent for uh, yeah, sorry. This is, yeah, it's not a brief question. The fight is absolutely still there and there are many players working in the background continuing to push for improved conditions. And I think we're kind of in the middle between two CBAs right now. Um, and it's a hard time, I guess, to gather momentum around pushing for change when there's not something tangible right in front of you. Um, and it's been shown to be difficult in the past to engage other players in, in, you know, kind of continuing these conversations unless it's something that's right in front of us. And so that's, you know, kind of all blew up at the last minute when the last CBA was brought, um, was kind of there to be signed off. So I think what we learned from that was like work needs to be done a lot earlier, um, but in that same way, it's really hard to engage the whole playing group um, until things become really, I guess, yeah, pertinent. So there's been some really, I think what's been great is we've built a lot of really good relationships between clubs, which is something we didn't have before. Um, we've been able to have much better conversation between clubs and, and between us and the PA, which is something that we really wanted to build on and work on. Um, and then I think the other part of it, well, there's probably two more things. I think one is ensuring that COVID doesn't have a negative impact on the women's game um, because if you look, I guess, to wider society, all the data shows is basically that, you know, marginalised groups or, yeah, are, are the ones who will be impacted more greatly by economic fallout from COVID and, the like. So I think it's really imperative that 
as players, we don't allow that to happen in any way. Um, and then the other part of it, which is probably going to have to come from a push from the players and the PAs in during our previous CBA, we negotiated that there would be a gender equity review. Um, and I think that has potential to be incredibly powerful. But at this stage, it's very much on the back burner from what I can gather. Um, which because I think, of COVID? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'd have to check exactly when that was scheduled to begin because I actually can't remember because it was a year ago and it hasn't been discussed. So I think the fact that we're still kind of, I actually would be surprised if a lot of players don't remember that this is something we kind of negotiated and it was actually a massive win um, for us in the PA to get this gender equity review funded by the AFL to kind of look into the AFLW and see where where significant change needs to be made. Um, so I think, Pepper, sorry to interrupt you. When you say gender equity, are you talking about income particularly, or is it other aspects? Actually, to be honest, aspects of gender equity. I think it was all. So I think I've called it there what we call it, which is the gender equity review. But I think it was actually negotiated to be called a competition review. Right. Um, so I think our intention as players was for that was that would focus on all aspects of the women's game, pay structure of the competition, you know, access to facilities. Um, The fact that I can't even remember, it probably shows you how little it's been touched on since we negotiated it. And that. So it's drifted away to the background. It's drifted away. And I think it's something that's been playing on my mind a little bit in the past few weeks, partly because um, I read an article from ages ago that mentioned it. And I was like, oh my God. I haven't even heard anything about that for wait, for for like a year. And then also I guess I've been thinking about like how complicated it is to negotiate something like that now during COVID. And then I think that plays back into my previous point is ensuring that just because COVID is here that we can't let things like that, that we're going to be really quite powerful in, if not um, influencing, if not creating change, at least, you know, bringing to light some of the things that need to be changed. So the fight is definitely still on. I think the fight, I think, you know, we can never afford to be, to kind of rest on our laurels. And I think that's something that as a playing group, we're starting to realise and something that we're trying to empower younger players who are coming through um, to, to constantly think about, you know, constantly kind of have the ability to question, you know, am I getting, do I feel valued? Do I feel kind of, am I getting what I believe that I'm, worth is is what I'm doing providing you know everything that I kind of thought it would be and what the public thought it would be um probably if anything that's probably been the most powerful part that came out of the previous CBA negotiations was empowering more players to just at least consider the circumstances they were in um and we've definitely seen that because, yeah, we have much more robust um, conversations between clubs now and, uh, and we have, I think, far better engagement between us and the PA, which is really good. Uh, so, yeah. Some more solidarity all around. Yeah, it's just this, this lull between kind of CBAs and the likes um, that means it's easy to, unfortunately, yeah, rest on the laurels a bit. So bear with me yep. there. 
yeah, you know, I can see that that's a sort of a work in progress. I watch this space. And as yeah, you say, the fight goes on, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, listen, let's leave it there. Thank you so much. It's a, it was a really great chat. I love talking to you. We love watching you play. We wish you and your Giants the very best for the rest of the 2021 20, season. Thanks, mate. Thanks so much for having me.